This podcast may include adult content. Bound Off is an independent, nonprofit audio magazine committed to paying authors for their work. To join us in our mission of broadcasting great stories to a worldwide audience, please consider dropping us a dollar or two at boundoff.com slash donate. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories, Beset by Jerry Brightwell and Ashes by Nicole Taylor. Beset, written and read by Jerry Brightwell. Listing time, 6 minutes, 9 seconds. Beset by Jerry Brightwell Each year, as the ground thawed, he'd reappear from the south like the warm breath of spring, his walk the loose-kneed gait of someone who'd come far. He'd keep to the dappled shade of the woods, whistling as he went, treading carefully as a wading bird around puddles and mires of mud. Here beneath the trees his coat's red patches would flash where the sunlight fell, and the criss-cross shadows of branches slip across his face, chased by other quicker shadows. From a distance you might have imagined him beset by a host of midges, but the flecks were birds darting around him in swift circles, as though tied by their legs to strings that he held. But the birds weren't tied, or not by string at least. As he walked he called to them, and out of curiosity more birds would flit down to examine him and, before they knew it, become swept up in the eddy. Little finches with their yellow breasts, and blackbirds that looked dipped in tar, and warblers and wrens and weavers, all mingling their song like the meltwater flooding down from the mountains. Some of the birds would roost on his hat, and their heads bob against his stride. Others would cling to his shoulders, rubbing their beaks against the coarse cloth of his coat. Occasionally he'd cheer up comforts to them and touch their heads with a rough finger in a kind of benediction. The flock would grow so large that the woods itched with life when he came through. The air would course with birdsong, and branches, suddenly empty, bounce and shake their new leaves until, the man and his birds gone, a glassy stillness fell. The birds would follow him across clearings, along the edges of fields, over frothing streams that he forded with his broken boots cradled to his chest. He might stoop to cup a handful of water to his mouth, and while he drank, the sunlight would lift from the stream and cast its quick fingers across his face. The scarred cheek, the dead eye staring always into the distance, the mouth like a hole torn in his skin. From far off, poor farmers would recognize the signs of his approach and hurry to their fields. But how to keep hundreds of hungry birds from newly sown seed? The birds would descend like a cloth laid over a table and lift when the farmers rushed at them and settle once again to probe the tilled earth with their beaks. Some of the farmers would shout obscenities after the man. Others would be too wary to do anything but watch him thread his way up past their houses. From doorways, children would stare at him, and behind them their mothers stand ill at ease, scarcely breathing until the disturbance of hundreds of wings beating the air had stilled, and they could go back to wringing out their laundry or splitting wood for their fires. 
There were few towns in this region, and his route avoided them all. He kept to the muddy tracks that wound through the woods, and slept folded up between the roots of the largest trees. His charges roosted in the branches above him and let loose their bowels, so that by morning he looked dappled with paint. By the time he reached a certain village in the northern foothills, the trees thereabouts would only just have unfurled their new leaves. In this place the villagers would be ready for him. They'd have been waiting for the distant flicker of sunlight battered about by a host of wings, and at that sign have set down their rakes and their bales of hay, and set off for the woods bearing ladders and webbing and sticks. He'd come down the path with the birds pouring around him to where the villagers stood as silent as the trees. He'd give no indication that he saw them, but instead would stride along with his lips sharpening the air into quavers and trills, as though these woods were like any other. At last a shout would ring out and he'd stop dead. From the shadows the villagers would lunge, beating their sticks together, panicking the poor birds whose song turned shrill. But nothing could save the birds now. Their heads would become noosed in the nets hung between the trees, and their wings swim furiously, furiously, to no avail. If a few did escape, in gaps between nets, through a hole too hastily mended, they wouldn't have the strength to do more than carry their hammering hearts to the higher branches and watch the villagers below fill their baskets. By evening, when shadows had stretched across the village square, the air would thicken with the smells of roasting meat and the clatter of tables being set up outside the church. One of the old women would come heavy-footed to where the man sat in a corner between two houses and put a plate into his hands. Soon candles would be lit, and the clamour of singing and dancing start up. He'd eat quickly, tearing the flesh off the tiny bones and dropping them into a pile at his feet, sucking the grease from his fingers. All around, caught in mud and cobwebs, blue to the wet thumb of an infant come to stare at him, clung wisps of feather. The man would yawn, and inside his mouth, instead of a tongue, a blackened nub would stir blindly, at last he'd fold himself up and pluck off his hat to cover his face and fall asleep to the villagers' voices lilting into the night. Sherry Brightwell is a British writer living in Fairbanks, Alaska with her husband and sons. She has two published novels, Cold Country and The Dark Lantern. Ashes, written and read by Nicole Taylor. Listing time, 8 minutes, 8 seconds. Ashes by Nicole M. Taylor On Sunday, there was a yellow feather on her front stoop. It was dirty and curled upwards at the ends. She considered it for a moment, eventually bending down with difficulty to scoop it up. She tucked the feather into a splintered plastic part of her pocketbook that she'd never had much use for. It looked odd and jaunty, smothered under thick gray. On Monday, she made jam out of the raspberries that grew in a sharp tangle around the corners of her little house. Her kitchen filled up with steam, and towards the end of the day, she propped the window over the sink open. 
Sweat cooled unpleasantly on her neck, and on the windowsill there was a pale orange feather. It was larger than the first, and the color of dying autumn leaves. Tuesday morning, her shows were on. So she sat on the corner of her sofa and drank tea with lemon and spread Monday's jam on her biscuits. Around eleven o'clock, there was an outraged rapping at her front door. She thought at first that it was the obnoxious paper boy again and stubbornly remained seated. He could stand out there until second coming if he liked, but she wasn't going to pay an extra seventy-five cents for the same paper as before. What did a cost-of-living increase even mean for an eleven-year-old? Later, when she peered out through the gap in the curtains, the red of the little feather in the middle of the welcome mat was so vivid that she noticed it even in the gathering darkness. She picked it up, and though she had stayed on her sofa for the better part of the afternoon, it was still warm against her fingers. On Wednesday, she took the feathers out and laid them all down on the top of her bureau. They presented a festive contrast. She studied them thoughtfully and straightened out the fringes of them with her fingernails. She did not wait exactly, but she did pay a certain special attention to the windows. Either way, no feathers came on Wednesday. On Thursday, she received a letter from her daughter, who lived far away in a city that the woman had never been to. When she imagined her daughter... She imagined her surrounded by tall buildings in a faceless gray color, standing still and small while a great crush of people moved around her. The letter was pleasant and vague, and she did not remember even one line of it after she finished. On Friday, she heard the sickly flutter of wings, but saw nothing, as she stood on her front porch, sipping black coffee from a mug with a world's best mom legend on it. There was another feather on the welcome mat. It was much longer than the other ones and had a slender white spine through the middle of it. It was a fragile, eerie blue. She carried it in to sit with the others and it burned her hands. In the afternoon, she applied Neosporin to her fingers and wrapped them in band-aids. Saturday, it was lying underneath the dogwood her husband had planted when their first child was born. It was not dead, but it did not look well. It laid very still and didn't even move its head to look up towards her. She remembered that it had stark, electric blue eyes. When the woman was very young, she and her mother had been walking in the woods. The woman had a good memory and a long one, and she still remembered the warm, encompassing feel of her mother's fingers around hers, and the hot, brittle tightness in her shoulders from the overhead sun. Her mother pointed out herbs and plants to her, and named them in a language that no one spoke anymore, not even the woman in her private thoughts. Don't touch it, her mother had warned, when they came upon the creature. It was slick and pink as a fat worm, in the center of what looked to be a campfire, abandoned and left to burn itself out, there was still smoke rising off of it. The ashes ringed it, first a pale, wintry gray, and then deepening and darkening as the circle tightened, until it looked as though the earth itself had been blackened and scorched. It had wings, 
and a long, awkward head. It opened its eyes and looked at the woman who was then a girl. Those eyes were the very bluest blue she had ever seen. I thought you might come back, said the woman at the base of the dogwood tree. She picked the creature up awkwardly. It had grown large, its tail, long as a peacock's, draped over her crooked arm and fell almost to the ground. It was breathing shallowly. She could feel the delicate rasp of it against her breast. It was very warm to the touch. My ma always said that things come back to the place they were born when they're going to die. She set the creature down carefully in the burn pit in the backyard, which she had not used since her husband died. There were still some remnants of brush in the bottom of it. The woman cleared them out, getting long, dark streaks of ash on her hands and forearms. She wrapped the creature's tail around its body, like a brightly colored blanket. The bird lay still and looked up at her, its eyes tired and baleful. I'm sorry I don't have anything nicer, said the woman. In the stories, the birds fire lit the sun in the east in reds and yellows and deep sizzling blues. But she couldn't have it burning up her dogwood, only thing left of her husband in the little house. The bird tucked its head, tucked its head underneath its wing and closed its bright eyes and seemed to forgive her. She waited next to the bird all afternoon, even as the air turned cool and settled in her bones. She rubbed her arms with painful, stiff fingers and watched the bird, which did not move, but appeared to be breathing more rapidly. Does it hurt? she asked, though she knew the bird could not answer. To burn? The sun had gone down in a flurry of reds and yellows and pinks and the palest of blues. A spark, like the yellow end of a cigarette, crawled over the ragged feathers of the bird. It made a noise once, a strangled mewling sound. As a girl, she had leaned down as one compelled to touch the thing, though her mother hissed no and tugged on the bright sash of her dress. It had felt cold and slick, like raw chicken, and it turned its great, ugly head towards her touch, making a kittenish sound against her. The girl had smiled. It likes me, Ma, she said. It's not a pet, her frowning mother answered. Its fire was tremendously hot. The woman shielded her face with both of her arms. It snaked upwards, first yellow, then orange, then a deep and vital crimson. The woman staggered back, pressed herself flush against the blue siding of her house. She squinted her eyes and crouched down. The fire stretched higher and higher. The bird was something formless and white-hot at its heart. The woman took a breath, and the air burned in her lungs. She remembered the feeling of her mother's hand around hers and the warmth of the sun and the cold, ashy smell of the little skinless thing. In the east, the sky ignited. Nicole is a student and writer. Sometimes she lives in Michigan, and sometimes she lives in Belgium. Her fiction has been published, or is upcoming, in Brain Harvest magazine and Andromeda Spaceways in Flight magazine. She is a 2009 graduate of the Clarion Writers Workshop. Listener-supported Bound Off is made possible by grants from the Kern Family Endowed Fund and the President's Fund of the Greater Cedar Rapids Community Foundation. Further support comes from the Google Grants Program. 
Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off, copyright Bound Off and the respective authors, all rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories.